Gresham College presents The Life and Times of Dr. Asamu Shimamura by George Tate. Today I'm going to talk about the curious case of the economist the West forgot. The economic understanding and total achievements of Dr. Asamu Shimamura, who was born on 27th November 1910 to 29th June 1989. In general, I'm not going to read the slides, I'm going to assume you're going to do it, and I'm going to skip through this within half an hour, although it really should take about an hour. <laughs> This is the image of Japan's most influential post-war economist, Dr. Zama Shimomura, on the book cover of his best biography, Thoughts That Bear No Evil. What I'm going to do in this lecture is to give you an outline of who Shimomura was, what he did, why that's important, and why the West has so far ignored him, and whether or not that can long continue. This is the story of the economic bomb, of the, but the discovery and spread of the new knowledge about how to make an economy grow with explosive force. This is the curious story of the man who explained how to build that bomb, and the economist the West forgot, the Asian Keynes, whose writings and understandings the West has ignored. And perhaps above all, this is the story about the opening of fresh path to prosperity for all mankind based upon a better macroeconomic understanding. Please relax and enjoy this lecture, which will be published on the Gresham College website. And I do believe we've got various papers out there which copy this one. Incidentally, if you search for Dr. Zamashimamura on the internet these days, most of the references are to the same-name Nobel Prize winner for his work on the phenomenon of bioluminescence. A search for the birth and death dates gives you results relating to Shimamura, the economist. Many of these facts are at the Bank of Japan development website, where... DG, the Development Bank of Japan, offered a Shimamura Fellowship in honour of Japan's most influential post-war economist. Richard Werner was the first Shimamura um, Fellow. One major aspect of Shimamura's life was he's an activist with four ways to affect Japanese economic policy. First, through his price control position in the Ministry of Finance. Second, in his advisory role in the Bank of Japan board. Third, through his lengthy friendship with Hayato Aikida, who was by turns his colleague in the Ministry of Finance, the Japanese Minister of Finance, and the Japanese Prime Minister. And finally, through his written papers, such as the, such as the contributions he made to the Income Doubling Plan, of which he was the major author, and his dozen books and hundreds of other papers. Shimomura studied and worked in the Mantetsu. The post-war economic miracle in Japan was run by returning Japanese, who were referred to as the Manchurians, because most of them had spent their time in Manchuria. The Mantetsu is... Um, the Mantetsu was the... Um, sorry, excuse me a second. It can be seen in retrospect as a testament of the managers to cut their teeth. And even today, it's interesting to note that Shinzo Abe's grandfather oversaw the Mantetsu development of Manchuria during the 1930s. The Manchuria was the, first, the world's first investment credit system, invest, investment credit economic system. There are three major and different kinds of financial industrial systems. There's the Washington Consensus Zone, the Berlin Neo Consensus Zone, and the Tokyo Consensus Zone. They have entirely different ways of dealing with the financing of productive investment. The Washington Consensus Zone is the one that you're most familiar with. National governments borrowing to just... 
They're owing a lot to external lenders who are being paid relatively high interest rates, government downsizing, privatisation, cuts in public services, relative economic stagnation. And the financial accompaniment to that, a few major banks acting as drains to take away local saving, but not as taps to provide industrial investment in countries that have no industrial policy. In this zone, there's a dominant neoclassical mindset by all players, all the political parties, all the media, virtually all the academic economists, nearly all the businessmen, and even most of the students of economics. Some of the media maintain a kind of continual complaint about the destruction of the social fabric and the increasing poverty due to government policies. But these media offer no practical alternative. There's a large and growing group of increasingly vociferous economic students who are profoundly unhappy about the single mindset of their chosen subject. The failure of the West is a kind of cultural failure brought about by a general belief in the neoclassical macroeconomics which does not produce the goods. This is the major reason why Shimamura is ignored. The West feels it already has all the answers. That complacency is still a predominant attitude despite recent events. The Berlin Consensus Zone is like the Washington Consensus Zone with one essential difference. In Germany, there's a century-long tradition of local public banks that fund local SMEs. These banks were, banks were set up in order to relieve poverty and fund small and medium-sized industrial companies. Germany runs the EU because of its economic strength due to that sparkassian tradition. The ECB does not borrow money in order to fund the loans it makes to the countries that are having difficulty. It's all created credit at the, at the ECB. Britain in 1800 bears a strong resemblance to what Germany is now. Britain had 800 local banks funding local industry, the country banks. And indeed, Professor Glenn Davis told the Wilson Committee in 1979 that if we in Britain had the financial system that we have now at the time of the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Revolution would have been stillborn. The Tokyo Consensus Zone is entirely different. The national financial systems are geared to funding private companies and for the transmission of credit from the Bank of Japan, or indeed from the central banks, via local banks to local industries for the funding of high company liquidity, high levels of work in progress, and finished goods with new capital investments. Investment credit creation occurs at a high rate in the nation's central bank, and that credit is convoyed, the Japanese money transmission system from the Bank of Japan to local industries is known as the convoy system to private companies. The source of that created credit is listed as the savings of the people, but that's not accurate. It's fiat money, freshly created credit, which is money because the government says it is. And who has the power to disagree? The setting of a basal interest rate, which causes money to become the counterpart of real resources, is the great stabiliser in the system. If you set the interest rate equal to the inflation rate, then money becomes a counterpart of real resources because the interest rate that's added in any year is equal to the fall in the value for money. If money is be, if credit is being created on a massive scale, you do need to set a price on money, and that's the correct price to set on it, because that is the price that maximises future investment. Once upon a time in the USA, there was an economic miracle between 1938 and 1944. This was financed by investment credit creation, Allegedly, FDR started the practice of saying it's the savings of the people when the people had absolutely nothing to do with it. Every investment required by this war effort was funded. And investment credit creation with the origin of the FED 
produced miraculous economic growth. America grew at a rate that has, had never been seen before and has never been seen since. 12.2% a year on average. They doubled the size of the real economy within a brief eight years, six years, sorry, 38 to 44. And Alan Millward, who was looking at this in his book, asked a very interesting question. Granted the United States had peculiar advantages in the quantity of resources and freedom of information they get from the enemy and the great quantity of slack that existed before 1940, why on earth did America grow so rapidly compared to any of the other countries? Some of them achieved 5% or 6% growth rates during war. Only the USA achieved 12.2%. On some UN estimates, sorry, let's come back one. On some UN estimates, the USA had about half the industrial power in the world in 1945 due to FDR's American Economic Miracle. When FDR died on 12th April 44 and Harry Truman became the 33rd US president, the miracle ended. Truman didn't like the idea of the Fed printing credit and then lending funds at low interest rates to industry. So the UK went back, sorry, the USA went back to growing a low rate every year. In Japan, post-war circumstances were dire. Terrible situation for any country to face. And just to make things really joyous, an American banker by the name of Joseph Morell Dodge, who was advisor at the occupation authorities from 1945, although he was only officially appointed from 1948, he suggested that they weren't allowed to use any kind of Keynesian refloating of the economy by borrowing money. So they didn't borrow money. They created lots of investment credit instead to rebuild their infrastructure and to rebuild their industries. The Dodge advice was finally written into law by the Japanese Diet in 1948-49. It was followed from 45, and much of it was set out in the economic stabilisation programme of May 47. If you want to see a really interesting picture, you can see Hayato Akira trying to progress this law through the Japanese parliament when, in fact, he hated it. <laughs> so, the, in 1964, the Japanese government did borrow for the first time from the Japanese Post Office Savings Bank. And it's only 6 to 10% of GDP that they have borrowed from the Japanese Savings Bank, which is not very much of the current creation of investment credit of 226% of GDP, which has been created since the end of World War II. The extent of credit creation by the Bank of Japan is considerable. At the end of 1945, in fact, if you look at one of the years, they actually have lent more to the banking system as bonds in 1948 than the banking system had as at bank advances. Is a very, this is a very odd table. This calculates the percentage, of, the percentage of the reliance on Bank of Japan loans to the banking system. That's not you, the usual calculation. The usual calculation is the extent to which the extent to which the item you're looking at has grown in the course of the year. It doesn't calculate the percentage dependence that has been there at the end of the year. So instead of 42% in year 1946, the actual increase in bank advances was 72.3%. 42% of the end of year sum and 72.3% of the beginning of the year sum. And you can see that the Bank of Japan loan support was incredible. 
These vast increases in bank advances were in the cause of the great Japanese infrastructure recovery with post-war inflation during 45 to 49. A great many pre-war bank loans were written off, mainly in 47 and 48, because the assets to which they related had been destroyed. This created credit costs nothing to create. And, of course, when that credit was spent within Japan, the government got the tax rate of 33%. So not only did they create the credit for nothing, they got a 33% payment, and the Japanese government bank, government finances, were increasing by about 33% whenever that money was spent. So, not surprisingly, Japan boomed. And as the years passed, the Bank of Japan acquired vast assets in the form of Japanese company interest-earning loans. In order to be a banker, you have to be able to tell a bill from a mortgage. You have to be able to tell whether a loan that you've created is something that somebody owes you, or whether that it's a charge that you're due to pay somebody. The Bank of Japan does not have loans to third parties. It has loans which are based upon created credit. So it has assets, not loans. And all those stories you've read about the bank, about Japan about to collapse because it's got so much lending. What do you think? If a bank's got tons of assets, how likely is the country to collapse? Now, when vast amounts of credit are created, their first use is not investment. Their first use is to increase liquidity. And the second thing that the companies do is they increase, they start producing, they produce affordable work in progress and stock levels from the, in, the investments they already have. Then they improve productivity with the existing staff levels. And only as a last resort do they actually invest in plant and equipment. The data shows, and there is some information, there's a, a lovely book that's produced every year called The Economic Survey of Japan, produced by the Economic Planning Agency, which I recommend that anybody who really wants to understand economics should read. You can see that the loans created are, are used for liquidity, for work in progress, to improve the investments and the productivity with existing staff levels, and then finally only for investment in new plant and equipment. Credit creation funds long supply chains and high stock levels. The funding of work in progress and finished goods is usually second priority. Stock levels are abnormally high in all investment credit economies. When you look at the observed levels, of, sorry, let me go back. I've lost a slide somewhere here. I've just got one, it's easier. Whoops, it's a bit too far. Business confidence is a result of high company liquidity. Stock holdings highest when over trading is not risky, and capital investments high when you've met the previous funding priorities. The major errors in, in Japanese and um, Bank of Japan credit creation, the Japanese didn't stick to the same policy all the time. They continually adjusted their policy as they managed to succeed in doing what they had aimed to do. The first priority was fixing war damage. As long as the, Japan had damaged roads, damaged ports, damaged um, airfields, damaged systems, damaged communication systems, um, damaged schools, hospitals, you name it. As long as they had that, they couldn't really operate and function as a normal economy. So the first thing they did was they fixed all the war damage. And the secondary focus was raising government income. When the funds that they provided to fix the war damage were spent by employing people and by doing things, they got the tax take that arises from people having income and from people spending that income. The second thing they wanted to do was, was increase private industrial investment to create a trading advantage. 
Then in 60 to 60, it's actually the entire 60s, the policy was to double Japanese living standards under Hayato, Aikida, and Shimamura. They actually achieved that within seven years. Double living standards in seven years. This picture of post-war Japan illustrated by these slides is quite amazing. Japan had lost a lot of its infrastructure, industry and housing through bombing, yet a couple or three years after the war ended, rich industries with 30% of GDP in the bank were confidently re-employing people to rebuild their infrastructures and re-equipping their industries, using the skills of their people in management organisation skills and their government's understanding of investment credit creation to restore their economy. Once the infrastructure had been fixed, they switched to the shifting of large investments, heavy industry and metal production, production plans to enable the motor, motor vehicle and shipping industries. The early post-war focus had re-established Japan's millions of SMEs as domestic source of profits, and the 1961 change in SME credit availability led to the bankruptcy of some SMEs. The Japanese finance minister, then Hayato Akida, had to resign in 52 after commenting in a Japanese diet that it makes no difference to me if five or ten small businessmen are forced to commit suicide. It didn't make a difference to him, he got sacked. During the early 1960s, the Japanese Aikido administration stated priority was Japanese doubling living standards over a 10-year period. I've already said this bit, but the major author of that income doubling plan was Dr. Zama Shimomura, which is what I hadn't said. That objective was achieved in 67, along with major improvements in the Japanese social package, statutory minimum wage legislation 59, universal pension system and the health insurance 61, and various measures for better care for the aged and the welfare law of 63. Paper wealth and economic wealth is created of loans resulting in investments that produce real wealth and are repaid out of genuine growth. There are five major forms of credit creation. There's credit creation for consumers, which is the Keynesian remedy for deficient demand. There's investment credit creation. Shimamur and Vernarian remedy for deficient supply, productive investment credit creation economics. And you can see the new paradigm in macroeconomics by Richard Werner for that. Financial credit creation is used to stabilise the banking system, but quite frankly, you can give the banking system 375 billion as you have in Britain, and it wouldn't do you much good except to stabilise the banking system. None of it went through to actually help industry. And then there's speculative credit creation to fund an unintended asset bubble, e.g. in Japan's 86 to 91. Again, see Richard Werner's book where he's shown that there's a close correlation using Granger predictive maths between the amount of credit created and the price bubble. And finally, there's innovation credit creation, which funds rapid scientific advance and innovations in manufacturing. Roosevelt and the atom bomb. Roosevelt and the new 50 rubber factories producing artificial rubber. There's dozens of examples of that. Obama and his most recent, um, Obama and his most recent green energy initiatives. Many people have the simple belief that all debt is bad, but life is much too complicated for that. As Shakespeare has Hamlet remark, there is nothing either good or bad except that thinking makes it so. To me, it is a prison. It's certainly a prison if you've taught one form of economics and you've learned one form of economics and you're unable to think outside the box. The key amendment that was made by Shimamura in his model to Keynes' saving investment equilibrium condition is that saving plus debt is equal to investment financed by saving plus investment financed by debt. In other words, when credit is created at the Central Bank of Japan to the extent of about 15% of GDP, that adds 15% to the investment level, and with the capital output ratio about three, which is what it was at the time, it adds 5% to economic growth, 
year after year after year. When Shimabura doing his economic model of Japan, he took three of John Maynard Keynes' observations and he structured them in a new, fresh economic understanding. These three insights were, one, there is no intrinsic reason for the shortage of capital. Therefore, two, savings can be created and investments made prior to the returns that justify them. And three, government can pay for that credit creation by taking an IOU against itself. Now, that is the basic flaw in much of Western economic thinking is every time they see a nation with high investment, they say, that money must have come from somewhere. They must have borrowed it from internally or they must have borrowed it on the foreign market. There's a third possibility that people usually ignore. They could have created it at the central bank. And that is the big hole in the heart of Western economics. Professor Kenneth Kurihara was an American Japanese economist, Japanese born, fluent Japanese reader, but he worked, he was an American. And he, his conclusion was, if therefore, greater investment can be financed partly by credits, you don't need abstinence, and you don't need austerity. And it's not difficult to agree with Keynes' observation that investment consumption is regarded as complementary rather than competitive. So, great investment financed by credits. Now, there's a solution to the West's current economic difficulties, and the EU and the USA need to learn and adopt human economics as soon as possible. No need for abstinence. Now, that'll be news to the currently suffering Greeks, Italians, Spanish, and French. No need for austerity. Well, again, that'll certainly be news to the IMF, the ECB, the World Bank, and the British Treasury. And investment and consumption are complementary. In the presence of investment credit, you do not need to say, we must cut some consumption so we can increase investment. It's not like that at all. You don't need to do that. Investment credit economics seems to have been independently invented twice in South Manchuria and in the USA, and copied three times in South Korea, Taiwan, and China. I don't count Japan as a copy, because it was the same team that did it in both places. I think Shimamura economics is ultimately going to triumph in the West for several reasons, because it's a wealth-creating economics. It establishes governments as the main source of wealth. It doesn't need any kind of revolution. It works well without one. You don't need a major redistribution of funds. All you need to do is increase the investment levels, get them down to local SMEs, and the whole economy will start blossoming. Previously, the West invents and the East invests. I have been told that by some um, some of our Asian friends after conferences. But understanding the system permits production to be relocated or located near the point of invention. It makes more expensive, greener technologies affordable. That's absolutely vital. The government at the minute is, is pursuing and continuing to use cold, dirty, cold-fired power stations because the Germans are using highly efficient, new, green power stations. It reduces income differentials and improves median incomes by spreading the wealth. And it's the best available macroeconomic solution. So, my conclusions. Schumann and Vernerian economics is the key to higher growth and the major path to prosperity for all economies. A sound economic understanding is the precondition for wealth creation. One major wrong assumption in neoclassical economics is that everybody in the world has access to the same technology when they don't, and that new understandings spread instantaneously when they don't, especially in economics. Debt has been demonised in the West, but the right kind of Debt is a path to prosperity. 
Investment credit creation can increase investment and growth, enabling the rest to catch up with the West and requiring the West to come better, even in economic understanding. Shinzo Abe, who I'm delighted to note has recently won another election, spoke of the, to the Japanese press club on 19th April 2013 about his new Shimomuran policies and spoke of a Japan of abundant capital based on no-cost investment credit creation. But this new economics is not, this fresh economics is not just for abundant capital nation like Japan or for a region like the Tokyo Consensus Group. It's for the development of the whole world. This economics is based on some of the insights of Keynes but not as most know him through his interpreters. You have to look up the original to see what he's really saying. Keynes is the entire box of fireworks. He's not just about the deficiency of demand. And it's consistent with modern monetary theory. It puts productive power behind the limitless ingenuity of mankind and validates Schumpeter's key insight that the innovator is the crucial player in the economic development process. Professor Richard Werner was the first 1991 Shimomura fellow, but the Development Bank of Japan told Werner nothing about Shimomura. Yet Richard has reverse-engineered much of Shimomura economics from Japan's financial stats using the relatively new technology of Granger predictive analysis. A very impressive feat. Finally, thanks for your attention in this lecture. I know my ambitions about this new economics are much greater than my inclusions. Shimomura economics is a complex, sizable macroeconomic system, not just a few key observations, and there's an entire machinery of government policy, feedback monitoring, and various other things, which are indispensable parts of this better macroeconomic, making it work well, as well as methods for the control of inflation and a set of preconditions, including central bank subsidiarity and those of abundant capital to accelerate the greening of all economic activities, which I've not covered. I hope I've said enough to let you see the possibility of a newer, lovelier world of abundant capital when poverty can really be made history and where the boundless ingenuity of mankind can flourish to bring about a much more satisfactory and sustainable world for all of us. And so be it, preferably soon. For all information, please visit gresham.ac.uk.